Good morning. It's great to be gathered together this morning. Before we begin, I am going to pray. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for each and every person who is connecting in this way this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. And so this morning we ask that as we are listening to your word, Father, would you speak to us in a way that we can connect with? God, would you help our hearts and our minds to be open and ready to hear what it is that you want to speak to us this morning? So I pray that you would bless us and that we'd know a deep sense of your presence with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So for many of us, this time last year, we would never have imagined that our world would look the way it does today. We'd never imagined that our lives would be so drastically changed. And I'm sure for many of us, when we first heard the words lockdown, we had thoughts like, well, I couldn't stay in the house all that time. What would I do? How could I cope? How could I manage having my family? And how will we not fall out all the time? And all these different things. And yet here we are, 10 weeks in. And for many of us, our current reality has stirred a lot of emotions, both positive and negative. And it's in times of crisis that we often feel things more extreme. We feel the range of emotions and, feel, and through these range of emotions that we've been feeling, I'm sure some of us at some stage have experienced disappointment, maybe around our current reality or maybe around other things. Maybe it was disappointment over a cancelled holiday or an event that you'd wanted to go to, not being able to celebrate properly someone's birthday or an anniversary, not being able to hug and to see the people that we care about. And for many of us, especially those of us who've been Christians for a long time, it's probably the longest we've gone without gathering in person with the church on a Sunday morning. And so many of us are feeling some disappointment around not being able to do that together in person in the way that we're familiar with. And it's challenged our view of what it is to be the church. So this morning, if you haven't guessed it already, I want to spend a few minutes looking at the idea of what it is to be disappointed and how we can deal with our disappointment. I believe the danger with disappointment is, depending on how we handle it, it can impact our identity and our understanding and connection with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes, because of the experiences we've had in our lives, our perception of who God is becomes distorted. And we might not even realise it's happening or that it's happened because it can be very gradual. And particularly when we go through a life-changing experience like now, there are many reasons our understanding or perception of God changes. But I believe at the root of most of them is some type of disappointment. Have you ever been told, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed? Disappointment is so much worse than anger. And there's three types of disappointment that we're gonna look at today. Disappointment in people, disappointment in yourself, and disappointment in God. And so we're gonna look at a story from the Bible that is full of disappointed people. Each of the people in the story have to navigate their disappointment, their experience of disappointment, and how they're going to choose to deal with it. 
If you have your Bible handy, and there's no excuse that you left it at home, we're going to turn to the New Testament book of Luke. And chapter 15, verse is 11 to 32. In this version, it's entitled, The Parable of the Compassionate Father. Then Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. After a few days, the younger son gathered together all he had and left on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle. Then, after he had spent everything, a severe famine took place in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and worked for one of the citizens in that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He was longing to eat the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? And here I am dying from hunger. I will get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him and his heart went out to him. He ran and hugged his son and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, said to his slaves, hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. As he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the slaves and asked, what is happening? The slave rep replied, your brother has returned and your father has killed the fattened calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and appealed to him. But he answered, Father, look, these many years I have worked like a slave for you and never disobeyed your commands, yet you, you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Then his father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything that belongs to me is yours. It was appropriate to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. If you've been listening to sermons for any length of time, I'm sure you will have heard a sermon on this passage. Maybe you even heard it in Sunday school. But that doesn't mean you can check out, because we believe the Word of God is living and active. And if you're in any doubt, you can ask some of the kids who've been learning about the living word of God. They might even be able to tell you where that Bible verse is found. So in this story, we see three different, we see different examples of disappointment. The elder brother is disappointed by the actions of his younger brother. 
he stood by his father, probably taking on more work, and as he tells us, working like a slave, and more responsibility, despite the hurt that he felt over his younger brother leaving. And it's possible he was even angry on behalf of his father because of how insulting his younger brother's actions had been to him. And here his little brother shows up and is welcomed back as if nothing had happened. The younger son faces disappointment with himself for the choices that he made. In this moment, the younger brother is filled with the shame for a Jew to be working with pigs, an unclean animal, was the lowest of the low position, a position full of shame. The younger brother's expectations for what his life would have been like when he was out on his own, making his own choices, definitely wasn't this. The disappointment he must have felt about these decisions is clear. And yet in this moment, he has a choice to make. He can wallow in his disappointment and feel sorry for himself, make excuses and blame other people for why it's not really his fault that he's in this mess. But he has the choice. In this moment, he can choose to overcome his disappointment and return to his father. It says, when he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired workers have food, enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. We rarely get a say in when we feel disappointment, whether it's in ourselves or in other people. But what we see in this story is that we have the choice to choose how we proceed, how we can move forward from it. And both sons show disappointment in their father. One, because he asks for his inheritance early so he can leave home. Some scholars would say this is the equivalent of wishing his father was dead. And the other son shows disappointment for how the father welcomes his younger brother back. For those of you who are Christians and are familiar with this story, we often talk about prodigals, the prodigal son, the one who left and came back. We use that language to talk about those who follow Jesus, who, who followed Jesus in the past, but are no longer walking with him. But I think it's possible for us as Christians who are still walking with Jesus to act or have a prodigal heart. How we view God and our understanding of his character is so key to our understanding our own identity. And I think it's possible that as we make mistakes and do things wrong, sometimes we become like the prodigal son. And often what happens, that disappointment is at the root of our wrong view of the father. When Jesus told this par parable, he was using the father to, in the story to represent God. And sometimes I think, although we know that that's who God is in the story, we look at God as if he's the elder brother. We come to God thinking he's maybe not that interested in what we have to say, or that he's going to send us away because we're just so sinful, or we've done such a silly thing, or we've made such a mistake. As if 
God isn't waiting to welcome you into his arms and hold you close, just as the father did to the younger son, regardless of what we've done. So do you think that God thinks the best of you or do you think that God is just tolerating you? How you answer that question reveals what your heart feels towards God and the connection you have with the Father. Because how we view God is really important. It affects how we engage with him, how we engage with ourselves and how we engage with those around us. Our communities need to know God as their father, but I wonder how many of them are more familiar with the God who wants to punish them for their sins and the God who's going to send them to hell. Jesus uses this story to remind us of the character of our heavenly father. The parable reminds us and reveals to us God's character, the depth of his love for us. While he was still a long way from home, the father saw him and his heart went out to him. He ran and hugged his son and he kissed him. The father runs to his younger son. Now, if someone has hurt or offended me, I doubt that my first response would be to run to them to offer my forgiveness. If anything, I would expect them to run to me to beg for forgiveness. Uh, so even to a modern day reader, we can see an indication or a hint at the depth of the Father's love. Yet to those hearing the story, as Jesus was telling it, it carries even more weight. In the first century, a Middle Eastern man would never have run. If he were to run, because of the length of the, the tunics that they wore, they, they touched the ground, they would have to pull them up over their knees so that they wouldn't trip. And in doing so, that would reveal his legs. And this was seen as a hugely humiliating and shameful thing for a man to do in public. As well as this, there was a Jewish custom known as kazaza, hopefully. <laughs> when a son acted the way the younger son did, the people of the village would break a large pot in front of him and tell him he was cut off. The community would totally reject him. So perhaps that's one of the reasons that the father ran to him, knowing that the entire village, were they to find him first, would reject and shame him. He wanted to prevent the people in their community reaching his son before he could, so he wouldn't experience the shame. And in doing so, he shamed himself. The father took the full brunt of shame so that, that should have fallen on his son, clearly showing his community that his son was welcome home. He restores his son into the family and goes even further by throwing him a huge celebration. This is the heart of God the Father. Jesus came to reveal the heart of Father. And the Father's heart is filled with kindness and compassion towards people. And there's so many examples throughout scripture of Jesus' compassion. But I wonder, is this how we always think of God? Do we always think of him as kind and compassionate? Do you believe that God 
if God doesn't answer your prayer the way you wanted, that he's still good and wants the best for you. Disappointment can cause you to set your expectation at the level of your experience. Have you ever asked for God to heal someone or yourself and it didn't happen? Does that mean God can't? Does it mean that God can't use you? No. Disappointment distorts your view. It makes you focus on what you've not got and instead makes you think about all the things you haven't done or haven't seen. Instead of thinking about how far you've come and all the things that God has used you for and the things you've already overcome. I watched a movie a while ago called Last Chance Harvey. And at the end, or towards the end, one of the characters makes this statement. I think I'm more comfortable with being disappointed. I think I'm angry at you for trying to take that away. And I wonder for many of us how true that is. How maybe because of experiences you've had where someone has let you down, or you feel you've let yourself down, or maybe you feel that God has let you down. And so you've not only accepted the disappointment, but you've grown comfortable with it. And maybe without realizing it, that has begun to cloud your judgment of who God is. Disappointment is a real feeling. It's often thought to be a form of sadness and even grief. Disappointment causes us hurt. It causes us pain. And we will all experience it at some point in our lives. The feeling of being let down. The feeling of someone being disappointed in us. There will be a time when we feel disappointment in ourselves. When we do things or say things or act in ways we know we shouldn't. And there may be experiences that you can think of where you feel disappointed by God. And while the feeling of disappointment is a natural part of our emotions, the danger is that we become comfortable with it and begin to accept it. When we become comfortable with something, we stop recognising it. We forget it's there. And over time, it will begin to grow in our hearts. So the next time something that happens that disappoints us, we'll just accept it and maybe even begin to expect it. Whether that's from people, ourselves, or even God. So how do we deal with disappointment? How do we stop ourselves growing comfortable with it? And how do we stop ourselves expecting it? When you become aware that there's some disappointment in your life around a person or situation, or even around God, the first thing to do is acknowledge it. Disappointment is difficult. It hurts. And it's helpful to admit out loud that you're disappointed. Confront it. Otherwise, it begins to get comfortable and grows. Express to God how you're feeling. Whether it's disappointment in him or others, express it to the Father, whether in prayer or through journaling. Whatever way works with you, be honest with the Father. Then you're going to evaluate your expectations. Often disappointment comes when our expectations aren't met. And so it can be helpful to look at what our expectations were. Were they realistic? Were they not? Then 
we want to remind ourselves of what the Bible says about who God is. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is good. God is holy. God is kind. And God is worthy of our praise. He is the constant. We are the ones that change and ebb and flow with our emotions. He, his character is constant and true. And we need to remember that. Our communities need to know the truth of who God is. And that will only happen when we know the truth of who God is and live in that. Disappointment can prevent us from feeling compassion towards our community. Compassion is hard. It's hard to show the people in our communities compassion, especially if we've become comfortable with disappointment. Because to be compassionate is to believe that the person you're engaging with is trying their best. And their best might not be your best. And their best might not seem like very much to you. But you're only getting to see a small part of that person's life. You may have heard the phrase or hashtag, living my best life. We all have this image in our mind of what it is, what the best version of ourself look like, looks like. Maybe it's more confident, more calm. Maybe it's being an amazing parent or employee or student. Maybe it's someone that never loses their patience. We all have this image in our minds of what our best, the best version of ourselves looks like. And we all know that more often than not, we're not as close to that as we wish we were. And that some days it's easier than others. Some days I slept well, some days I didn't. Some days I have more baggage to deal with than others. Each of us have different life experiences that makes, thing, makes something easier and some things harder. And each of our bests looks different. But God sees the struggles we face and knows what each of us is going through. I was listening to a podcast recently with um, Russell Brand and Brene Brown. If you've never heard of Brene Brown, she has an amazing podcast or TED Talk, sorry, on vulnerability. I would highly recommend watching it. Brene has spent her career studying and researching the way we as humans deal with shame, how we deal with belonging, what it is to live vulnerably and authentically. And during her research, this question came up and I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that everyone is trying their absolute best? Now, as soon as I've asked that, I'm sure some of you have already answered. Some of you think yes, some of you think no. Some of you think there's maybe not enough information to decide and it depends on each person. So I want you to think about someone, maybe a close family member or a friend, someone that you care about. And if I asked you the question again, are they trying their absolute best each day? You would probably say yes, because you care about them. You know they want to be the best father or mother that they can be, the best employee that they're able to be. And we give them the chance to be that person. But if I was to ask you to think of someone who causes you frustration, someone you maybe tolerate, but Deep down, if you had a choice, they maybe wouldn't be in your life. I want you to think of someone who's maybe let you down. And I want you to ask the same question. Do you think 
they are trying their absolute best. For some of you, the answer is no. And I'm sure you can give me a reason why. Because if they were trying their best, then this wouldn't have happened. If they were trying their best, then I wouldn't feel so let down by them. I wouldn't feel so hurt by them. My life wouldn't look this way. Their life wouldn't look this way. And I wouldn't feel so hurt and they wouldn't have treated me that way. But time and time again, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus showing people compassion. And he interacts with people with huge compassion. We see it in the story of the woman at the well. He never condemns her. We see it in the woman caught in adultery. He even calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, to be one of his 12 closest friends. The Gospels are packed with examples of Jesus' compassion. So going back to that person who's disappointed you or caused you frustration or hurt, I wonder what Jesus would say about them if we asked him. I think Jesus would probably tell us they are trying their absolute best. And that's not always easy to hear, especially if they've caused us hurt. And it's important that while we think about these people and think about engaging with them, that we keep clear boundaries. Boundaries are really important. And there's many examples of Jesus showing compassion and there's many examples of Jesus creating boundaries. So I want to leave you with one last question. What impact would it have on my community if I treat people believing that they are trying their absolute best? Amen.